last year and a half has taught us anything, it's that humans want and need to connect. We're not-for-profit professionals supporting adults to live, work, and grow in a rapidly changing world. We need each other to build full plans and pathways for our clients so that they can achieve life-changing goals. Whoever and wherever you are, if you support adults in learning and life, the Getting Connected podcast may be for you. Grab a coffee, give us just a few minutes of your workday, and let's connect. Hi, all, and welcome to the Getting Connected podcast. I'm Ashley Hoth Murray, and I'm joined by the effervescent Gay Douglas. How's it going, Gay? <laughs> It's a wonderful Friday afternoon in Niagara. It's a bit snowy, but uh, looking forward to our guest today. Yeah, we have an awesome guest today. Uh, we're talking today uh, about the many clients that walk through their the first door of an organization that loosely fits their goals. Uh, it then becomes up to the organization that they've walked through to figure out if they are the best fit or if the client would be better served by someone else. Instead of just sending a client on their way, this is when referral protocols, both informal and formal, become very important to a client's success. In literacy and in other employment Ontario programs, often we see people who would best be served by secondary or post-secondary schools, by wraparound services, or by second language providers. But when and how do we determine where this client who doesn't fit our service should go? The first step is understanding external services and their niches. Today, we're going to explore newcomer and immigrant services. Thanks, Ashley. Um, yes, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, we're going to uh, talk with Iris Corrales. And Iris is a uh, staff person at the YMCA of Niagara. So first, a little bit about the YMCA. Certainly, many of us here in Niagara have utilized their services over the many years. 162 years of service uh, the Y has here in Niagara, and they, they offer a wide variety of services. The one we may be most um, familiar with in literacy and basic skills are employment services and newcomer services. Certainly around our literacy service planning table, we have had on a regular basis a representative from uh, the CLARS uh, community. So uh, Iris is going to tell us more about that today. So we will explain to you what that acronym means in a moment. It's my pleasure and privilege to introduce Iris Corrales to you. Iris has been part of the YMCA Employment and Immigrant Services team since 2009. And in 2016, she took on a new role moving from employment services to the immigrant services department. She's going to tell us a little bit about CLARS and she's going to be explaining that acronym to us as well as some other acronyms today. Uh, so welcome Iris, we're really glad you could join us today. Thank you for having me, Ashley and Gay. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here this afternoon with you guys. Well, we're going to do some learning this afternoon around 
a number of different acronyms that are in your world. Certainly the literacy and basic skills world has lots of acronyms too. So I've got a three-part question here for you. The first part of my question is, what is CLARS? What does it stand for? And what does it mean? Well, that's a fantastic question. So being the YMCA, we're obviously big fans of acronyms. So I will go through some of the acronyms and uh, what they stand for uh, with you guys this afternoon. So first of all, looking at our CLARS Center. CLARS stands for Coordinated Language Assessment and Referral System. So that really tells you what it is. Our, uh, our employees in CLARS, they work to provide language assessments to newcomers to Canada. And it could be newcomers who have arrived to Canada through a variety of different um, immigration paths. So it could be somebody who came as a permanent resident, it could be somebody who came as a refugee claimant, um, a protected person, um, all those kinds of things, we would be able to offer them a language assessment. Um, that language assessment is given in a CLB, which stands for Canadian Language Benchmark. They are given a score in their listening, reading, speaking, and writing. Uh, sometimes that score is very even across the board for a client. So it could be, for example, a six, a six, a six, a six, six in all four areas. Um, but sometimes a client can also have spiky um, results, which would mean they could have fantastic reading, maybe a level six reading, but then have a very low um, or a lower uh, number in listening, for example, could be a two. Um, so when our CLARS assessors sit down with the client to provide the language assessment, they will also review the results with the client and let them know what kind of level of English um, they're looking at, again, if their benchmarks are pretty even or if they're spiky, and then they will make recommendations about what the client can do with those results. The results can be used for um, English classes, right? Or it could also be used for employment so that they can better understand, this is kind of where I stand with my English language. If I were to go to um, a job interview tomorrow, would I be able to understand what is being asked of me? And not only would I be able to be understand, uh, to understand, but would I be able to um, accurately portray what my skills and my experiences have been so far in, in, in the employment field. Um, so all of that is really done with our employment assessors. We have a great team of employment assessors at the Y. We have three assessors and then Monique, um, who is the coordinator there. Um, and they do a really great job of taking um, each assessment and each client, uh, taking the time really to really explore beyond just, okay, this is your assessment, these are your results, but also how can we, how can we then refer you to somebody, to another party, to a third um, party provider, or it might be even the Y itself, that can help you now move forward with this information that you've gained from us. Um, so that is CLARS in a nutshell. In a nutshell. And you know what I enjoy hearing about that, Iris, is just like our literacy learners in the literacy and basic skills world, uh, their assessments are often spiky too, right? They may be really good with... Um, uh, math skills or digital skills, but they may struggle with the written word. So I think it's sort of a, a nice uh, 
sort of thing in common that we may have, uh, that people come with a variety of skills. And SARS is one way of identifying that and getting them into the program that is the best fit. Thank you. Uh, That was interesting. Now, just to be clear then, who is eligible for CLARS? Um, Could you give us some of the guidelines and criteria? So um, pretty much anybody who has come to Canada um, and has been um, given residency or is expecting to receive residency. So if they are a permanent resident, that's fantastic. Um, If they're a refugee, a convention refugee, perfect. Um, If they're a refugee claimant, so that if they've arrived to Canada, um, they're seeking asylum, they might, they may have, they may have had their hearing already, or maybe it's still pending. Um, they're more than welcome to come in and get an assessment. Protected persons, um, all those different immigration paths, we are happy to serve. If you happen to be in an immigration path that is not one of those, for example, if you came on a student visa or you came on a tourist visa, um, where residency isn't a given in Ontario, um, they would still be able to access the services, but I believe that there would be a cost for that. Um, And definitely some other centers have already started doing that. because you know, CLARS is, is across um, Ontario, right? So there are other centers who have started uh, doing a fee for service. And if they don't, um, if they don't, uh, if they don't fall under the eligibility requirement. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So the, the, it's still available for a fee uh, yes. so that people can look into that. And I would think that would be like, you just said student visa. So for somebody who's, a, who's, you know, going to a public Ontario institution, they have to, have a certain Canadian language benchmark CLB to participate in a program. Am I correct? Yes. Who's going to um, um, ESL classes? You mean like English training? No, like I'm saying, if uh, if somebody has has immigrated or if someone's coming in to take a college program at Niagara College, the college requires, I think it's like a CLB six maybe to to be able to participate. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so that is a little bit, um, a little bit more uh, complex because the college does um, ask for a CLB of six, but they don't actually accept the CLB, um, uh, our assessments from CLB. Right. So it's definitely helpful in helping the client identify where they are in their language training pathways or path. Um, but a, a lot of universities and a lot of colleges, so not just Niagara College, but I think most of them are looking for an IELTS test or um, a TOEFL test, really. So that's really what's going to prove um, English proficiency to them. Uh, there's also classes that you can take at Niagara College that would give you that grade 12 English requirement. Um, and this is something that the Y has brought up to our funders, uh, whether it's IRCC or MLTSD, about sometimes the need of putting um, multiple English assessments um, can sometimes hinder the client, right? So when we're saying come to the YMCA, do a language assessment, that's going to give you a a CLB result. But then, you know, what colleges and universities might say, that's great that you have that, but we also need further proof of your English. Um, So we have had those conversations and we have brought that up to our funders. And, you know, thankfully, um, the province of Ontario is listening. So they did just um, 
recently uh, passed an act where they are looking at internationally trained professionals and they are looking for ways to reduce um, duplication in, in the right. right? So why can't the CLB level be accepted at universities and colleges? Um, so that is a conversation that we've had, but it, it is very interesting because you would think, okay, I got my CLB, now I'm ready to go. Um, right. Again, really helps it helps more the client to understand where they are are at, and then of course our assessors or our our employment counselors would come in and say, "Perfect," but now we're also going to help you meet the English language requirements, uh, or the English. Your next step, exactly. Yes, and and for the for the information of the people uh, listening to this podcast as well, uh, and and uh, for folks who are in the employment services realm, it may be helpful for you to check in with your local literacy network, regional literacy network, because there's also a, a Canadian language benchmark uh, standard or level that needs to be met even to get into a literacy program. So um, we understand about the multiple testing and the multiple proving of the student. Yes, I can do this. And now I'm going on to a new place and do I have to be retested? So that is sort of a challenge right across the system, Iris. Um, interesting. Yeah. Ashley, did you have something to say before I ask my final question? No, I was just gonna say, I can't imagine being a newcomer and coming here walking into employment, deciding you were going to, you know, get a job, having your CLB, your CLARS assessment done, then deciding you were going to go to post-secondary and then having to do it all again. I mean, I'm happy to hear that they are uh, revisiting the system um, mm -hmm. because it just, if you put yourself in the client's shoes, that must just be so frustrating. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely something our assessor will let them know right off the bat, because I think the, the biggest disservice that we can do to a client is pretend that, hey, this is, this is your assessment and now you're free to go wherever you want, right? And like I said, employers will accept it. All of um, the ESL uh, training providers accept the CLB assessment, but then, like I said, colleges and universities, and sometimes a lot of the regulatory bodies. So for example, the College of Nurses and all of, they're going to want their own proof of uh, English. Right. IELTS, TOEFL, cell ban for nurses, right? So there are um, a lot of places that a client could go to get a language test. And I, and I do think it's good that the government of the province is looking at this and saying, hey, can we eliminate some steps? Can we elim eliminate some costs? CLB, our assessment is free. TOEFL isn't free, IELTS isn't free, right? So can we kind of help farmers yeah. who are coming to Canada save some money and really, really maybe um, redirect or reimagine what proving English proficiency looks like? Right, money, something money everyone time. can agree with. Time is an issue too, right? Time, of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we know that with every step in a learner's um, path, that every time you ask them to sit through another set of <laughs> tell your story, show what you know, that we lose people. And so we should make it as easy as possible for learners and clients to uh, to achieve their goals. But that's a little bit of a uh, grant. That's, I'm on my podium today about that. Uh, my final question my final question about CLARS itself is, uh, now that we understand what it is and who's eligible, is when and how 
should someone be referred to CLARS? Like what's the criteria and what's the process? Mm -hmm. So um, I, again, the criteria really falls on their immigration status in, uh, in Ontario and in Canada. Um, but if they meet that criteria, I believe that it's beneficial for every newcomer. Uh, so I've personally referred clients to CLB that are just coming to Canada that have never you know, spoken English word of English in their entire lives. So we do like do the pre-CLB levels as well, right? Because they'll need that to really start the English learning um, and English training journey here in Canada. Um, and then we have also clients who maybe come from a country where they did learn English, they did, they did speak English there. I would still recommend them to do a CLB because you want to quantify, you know, the language, right? And again, when we're talking about, uh, like, if they have spiky benchmarks, I could be talking to a client and I could think they have wonderful English. They're talking to me. They understand what I'm saying. I'm understanding what they're saying, right? If I refer them to an employer and I say, yeah, this client, great English, the employer hires them and the employer asks them to write an email and the client cannot write them an email. Like that's when this, the class really comes in, right? Because they'll be able to see where they're at. When we learn a language, and sometimes this escapes us if, um, well, English is actually not my native language, it's Spanish. But so I, I can, and I'm learning a little bit of French, so I can understand how we can be really good at speaking it and then have a really hard time with the writing it or the listening, right? If there's a different accent. Um, sure. I just think it's invaluable for really any newcomer coming, no English, intermediate English, or whether they were speaking English back home, um, just to quantify that and just to make sure that it matches up to what they believe they're where they're at, or what I might hear just in a in a one to one appointment with them. So it gives them a baseline. And yes. a better understanding of their own levels, should they choose also to uh, to uh, upgrade. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's, that's helpful. Um, yeah, I meant to mention the fact that I was going to ask you a question and, and please do jump in. This is a uh, just sort of a rose as you were chatting. Uh, tell us as a, someone who was a newcomer to this country, do you find that helps you in your role? Um, I do. So I did come to Canada when I was just a kid. Um, tell but us about it, a little bit uh, about it. Uh, definitely seeing my parents come to Canada. So we came from a tropical country in Central America. And my parents and I, we landed in Winnipeg, Manitoba, oh. of January. Oh, my so, goodness. Yes. Welcome to how, Canada. Exactly. How my parents did not get right back on that plane and, and head back to El Salvador. I, I, I won't understand. Yeah. I, they, um, you know, that they stuck it out there, you know, uh, weather or, or um, climate sometimes is, is something that that a lot of newcomers don't don't really think about. They're like, yeah, we know Canada's cold. <laughs> and then we get here and it's just a whole nother level of cold. You know, it's dark. It gets dark earlier during the winter months. Um, so it is def definitely you know, and you have to acclimatize yourself to a new country. And that is not even taking into account the culture. Right, complete culture shock when you're arriving here, not being able to find the foods that you normally eat back home. That was a big thing for my family. I remember the first time I ever had toast with jam on it, and I <laughs> was not a fan of that <laughs> uh, because we didn't we didn't have that back home, right? And right, we arrived in the early '90s. Um, I, I don't believe it's well, at least Winnipeg wasn't as multicultural as it is now, right? So. Right. 
wasn't like you couldn't go to like there's a Latin store there and you could get all the Latin products, right? It, we <laughs> that did not exist. No. Definitely that, but then also watching my parents um, and then also my my in-laws now who are also from uh, Central America, struggling that they were engineers and teachers back home and now coming to Canada, having to find jobs that are not in their fields because of uh, regulatory bodies um, and because of the language, right? So, and this is something I tell my clients all the time, you know, if they're nurses, if they're doctors, I'm like, you know, treating a broken arm is the same, right? Whether you're in the Philippines, in El Salvador, in Canada, you're going to see a broken bone, you're going to, your training is going to kick in, you're going to know what to do. The problem is that before you get to that point, you have to be able to articulate what you know. And you have to be able to articulate that through a Canadian healthcare lens, if we're talking about internationally educated um, healthcare professionals, for example, right? Um, but uh, electricians, right? Uh, the Ontario Building Code, do you know that? Do you understand that, right? Health and safety rules. Um, so it's, it's really about, we know that you can do the job, whatever it is that you were trained in. And now it's about getting those language uh, skills, right? So that you can um, work in a, in a safe environment. Um, right, it's safe for everyone. Exactly. Right? Safe, safe for you as a practitioner, if you're going into a healthcare field, and also safe for your clients uh, or your patients who you may be working with. But I think, Irish, you must bring that lens and your experience to bear as someone who recent, not recently, it was a while ago, but as someone who was, you remember that cold, cold day in Winnipeg. And so I think that that probably brings an, a level of expertise to the work that you do. Um, and a, a level of sensitivity that I'm sure really helps people when they meet you. So that's that's my uh, that's that's why I asked the question because I think that that must make you a very special uh, practitioner. Uh, my next the, the final part uh, I think we're going to pass on to uh, Ashley. Awesome. I just have a quick question, which I don't think will will take too uh, too long to add in, but. When you say newcomer, is there like a length of time that you were considered a newcomer? Oh, that's a great question. That is a great question, Ashley. I'm so glad you brought it up. So technically, newcomer is within five years of arriving in Canada. Um, and that's actually, we are at the YMCA. We used to be the YMCA Employment and Newcomer Services. And then that changed, I believe it was like in 2011, um, we changed to immigrant services, right? So immigrant services really encompasses somebody who has been in Canada for two months and somebody who has been in Canada for 10 years. Um, so yeah. But yeah, if you're seeing a um, newcomer or you have to be a newcomer to be eligible for those services, what they're meaning is usually you've arrived in Canada less than five years ago. Thank you. That you're just an immigrant. But like I said, a lot of our services, all of our services at the Y, you don't have to be a newcomer. You can just have, you know, come from a different country and now come to settle in Canada. Yeah. Th thanks for clarifying that. Because I get to know what is what is newcomer. How of course. Oh, no, that's a, that was quantify it somehow. Great question. So we have a lot of acronyms that we've heard today. And so I'm going to ask you to explain two others uh, and you can add in any others if you can, if you think of them, but what is, uh, what's NIC and what is Swiss and why, why are they important? Yeah. Another great question. Um, so 
let's start with NIC. So NIC stands for Newcomer Information Center. Uh, and it's one of the services that the Y offers um, pre-pandemic. It was a drop-in center. So anybody who had a question about settling in Canada, settling more specifically in Niagara, in the Niagara region, you know, uh, how do I find a family doctor? How do I open up a bank account? Uh, what's the difference between shopping at No Frills and shopping at Sobeys, for example, right? Any question that they had um, that um, they, they wanted to talk to somebody who, who kind of would help them navigate that whole settlement process here. Um, so we have fantastic NIC workers. Since the pandemic, we have shifted um, some of our services to virtual services, um, but traditionally it's a drop-in center. Newcomers can come into our office and, you know, with one of our NIC workers and ask these questions. Um, and then our NIC workers can provide information, but more so they're also providing links to the community, right? Because we always wanna be referring newcomers and helping them put down roots in Niagara, right? If that's where they're choosing to stay, put down roots in Ontario, right? So they're not always staying in this newcomer community, right? They're not always staying in, well, you know, uh, sometimes it's easy to gravitate to, oh, I'm from El Salvador, this person's from El Salvador, so I'm gonna just hang out here, right? We really want to help them um, to see how uh, multicultural Niagara is becoming, right? So uh, for example, I never played hockey growing up, it was always soccer, um, but I did get my son into playing hockey. Um, so, so just exploring and, and sometimes ex going outside of our comfort zone. Um, and that's something that our Nick staff is really great at. So um, yeah, wraparound services, referring to whoever is going to be best able to provide the service that the client needs at that time. What um, was the other one, Swiss? Yeah, so Swiss is our settlement workers in schools. Um, and we have a fantastic team of uh, settlement workers who work primarily inside the schools. Uh, they work in the public, uh, with the public school board and the Catholic school board, both in primary and high school uh, grades. And really what their role is to partner with the school to help families who are coming to Canada who don't really understand how to navigate our educational system, right? So how do you, how do I register my kids, you know, in kindergarten? What is kindergarten? Uh, we have junior kindergarten, senior kindergarten. Do my kids actually have to go to that? Um, or once they're in high school, um, what kind of extracurricular activities can they do and then looking beyond high school to post-secondary education or apprenticeships if that's what they're choosing so our swiss workers are um on site they're in the schools they're communicating with the um school board teachers principals and then the parents of the students uh and they i think combined they speak about 10 languages between all the staff that we have because we do like to provide um first language uh services, um, you know, understanding English is important, but sometimes when you're providing complex information, it, it's just easier to provide it in that uh, same language. It's interesting to know that I was not really aware that you were also not only dealing with adults in these Y um, newcomer services, but also uh, with the younger generation. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Ashley, did you have another question? Yeah. Um... I, you've mentioned it a little bit about it, uh, but the pandemic has obviously affected all mm -hmm. services, but is there any specific way that the pandemic has affected uh, immigrant services in Ontario? 
Um, yes, for sure. I think that when this all hit back in uh, March of 2020, uh, two years ago, um, I, I think that once we got over the 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 panic of, oh my goodness, there's this new virus out there. Um, we did start to look at how are we gonna continue our services now from our homes, right? When the office was, you know, we had to close and all that. We wanted to be able to continue to provide services, especially to immigrants, especially to newcomers who hadn't yet been able to form those in their community yet. We didn't want them to feel feel even more cut off like sometimes there's a language barrier that can be isolating but now not to be able to walk into the why you know um i i do like to think of the why um where we have we have computers for clients to come in and use photocopiers so before the pandemic it was a pretty uh bustling hub right where people could just come in immigrants newcomers could come in see their friends talk to one of our workers have a cup of coffee with us go on you know one of our computers print stuff out all of a sudden for that to be completely cut out. Um, we did we did worry about that. And so we tried to brainstorm how can we continue providing services. So we did pivot to virtual services, um, Zoom calls, phone calls. Our CLARS uh, team actually did, I think over 300 care calls um, wow. just to had had a language assessment uh, and just to follow up with them and say, hey, I know the pandemic is hitting everybody differently. Is there anything else that we can do to kind of uh, make sure that you guys are okay and stay connected during this time of isolation? So I thought it was fantastic. Um, I, I think another thing too is uh, the internet, right? So we are working through Zoom and stuff like that, but sometimes, um, Clients don't have internet at home, so that was difficult. They're, they don't have access to printing materials, you know, so we had to kind of figure out how can we safely still provide these printing services to these clients, because if they're going to go to um, some of the variety stores do have printers there, but you have to pay for them, right? So we did have to figure out, hey, how, how can we remain socially isolated or distanced, right? But still get the clients the papers that they need to put to print. And I think our Nick, our Swiss and our CLARS team did a fantastic job identifying who really needed the printing services. And we were able to do that still following all the public health uh, recommendations. I, I think I've seen you know, negative aspects of what the pandemic has done and has forced us to go into virtual services. But I actually see one positive. Um, so we also work very closely with WES. So another acronym, WES is World Education Services. And they're a fantastic organization that does credential assessments um, for internationally trained professionals. So if you have education from another country, WES will tell you this is what it's uh, equivalent to here in Canada. One thing that they did that I absolutely loved was when the pandemic hit, prior to the pandemic, they were very, very strict in how they would receive your transcript. So it had to come directly from the university. It had to come in a sealed envelope. Nobody could even breathe on that envelope, right? Like it had, they had so many, and I understand that because of course they wanted to make sure that it was legitimate and all of that. But when the pandemic started, they actually pivoted and started allowing clients and the schools to upload their documents, which has eliminated a lot of stress. Um, it just makes it so much faster. So things like that, where I'm seeing that, um, non-for-profit non or all these organizations are responding and they're thinking, you know, this is how we've done things for the last 20 years, however long that company or organization has existed. And we just never, we had the technology to do it differently, 
but we didn't because we were comfortable in this is what works face-to-face -face works. I need a signature. I need you to be here. Um, so I think that the pandemic, as difficult it has, as it's been, it definitely gave us that little push that we needed to kind of really take advantage of the technology that we have in 2022 um, in a way that goes beyond just, you know, Facebook and, and Instagram, but like, how are we actually helping clients and how are we continuing to deliver the services that are important to them in a much more convenient format now? And you, in some ways, are meeting clients where they may be skilled, right? Because, you know, a MacBook in Canada and a MacBook halfway across the globe is the mm -hmm. same, Right, it's, mm -hmm. it's the language um, yes. that that's new to the to the newcomer, uh, not not necessarily to the technology. So in some ways, exactly. you're you're actually providing some comfort mm -hmm. because they mm -hmm. they're able to exercise these skills. Yeah, it's very interesting. What a great example! It is, and just a, a note about as you're talking, Iris, and I'm thinking about the way our literacy and basic skills programs have also been so innovative and so resilient uh, doing their work online and reaching students in new ways that I'm sure that if someone could snap their fingers and the pandemic was, was over next Tuesday, they would still continue to do these things in new ways. And it has forced them out of their comfort zone. You, you put that well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we end, our, we end all of our podcasts with two questions that are extremely vague. We ask them to all of our guests and you can interpret and answer them however you see fit, but we refuse to provide you with any more, <laughs> any more information. So the first question that we have for you is interpret it as you may. What is the system doing well? And the second question is what could the system do better? What is the system doing well? Uh, so I'm going to interpret that as um, what are our funders uh, doing well? Um, so I think that they are becoming more responsive to the needs of immigrants in Ontario. I think that we've seen a huge labor shortage, and it makes me very happy when um, you know, the government of Ontario says, hey, we're, we're going to move and we're going to start reducing some of the requirements that are redundant. Um, we're going to st uh, start stop eliminate or we're going to eliminate um, Canadian experience as a requirement in certain fields. Um, so I, 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 I am happy that they are listening to what I think service providers who work with immigrants uh, and newcomers have been saying for a very long time. And it's about time that they're, they're taking note and they're taking concrete steps um, towards making Ontario, um, I mean, I think it is already multicultural, but making Ontario, you're gonna have to edit this out. <laughs> I lost the word, making Ontario more welcoming, welcoming. Yeah. Just making it, I guess, easier, right? The accessible, maybe more accessible, making it, exactly making it more welcoming and making it more accessible. Um, so uh, newcomers and immigrants have um, the opportunity to really 
build deep roots or get those deep roots into our communities, right? And once we see that happening, I think that Ontario will be better for it. So I think that's something that uh, um, the Ontario government is doing well. Um, can they do better? Of course, uh, we can always, always do better, right? But um, I am excited to see that those steps at the level of government allow for funding then to us, to places like the Y, where we could adjust our services and really meet the clients where they are at. Well, Iris, I really want to thank you for speaking with us today. I know that I, I learned a lot uh, and a lot of new acronyms that, uh, that we will take back into our work. And I know our listeners will take back into their work. So thank you for listening, listener. And we look forward to getting connected next time.